0: 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 4. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity, honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. He says it's good for us to hold biblical standards when relating to each other as Christians. And that's what we're talking about now. It's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards when we're relating to each other. So we've been going through some different portions of Scripture. Some of them are redundant because it's they're all saying the same truth. But we need to be able to go through them. So if the word goes through you once, at least you're going to be exposed to that truth. And the Holy Spirit can use it to challenge your heart in relating to other believers. And not just believers, but those around about you also. Tonight I want you to turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter where it talks about biblical standards in relating to other people. Ephesians chapter 6. We can start again right at the very first verse, because we've talked about this from other portions of Scripture. It says, children, what? Obey your parents and Lord. By the way, there are nine Greek words for children. When we say children, we think of children. When we say babies or children. But there's, it's an interesting thing. Nine Greek words for children, and it's talking about from little tiny infants to where they're just beginning to walk, and then when they get a little bit, I don't know what we call them, in the different, like, different Sunday school class grades and levels, all the way up to where they finally come into adulthood. But there's nine different words for children, and that word there, obey, is interesting because it, it actually means, in one sense, listen to your parents. But it even goes beyond just listening. It means to hearken, now get this, to hearken submissively. You know, we talked about being able to hear. Having ears, let him that hath ears hear what the Spirit of God says. But it means to be able to listen with the expectation that you're gladly going to respond submissively to what they say. That's the implication here in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord For this is right. I'm so glad he didn't say because if you don't, you're going to be beaten up. Or if you don't, you're going to get into other problems. He just simply states that as far as God is concerned, that's the way God expects it to be. And he says, obey them in the Lord. Now he's talking now to Christians. And if you and I abide in him and his words abide in us, we can ask what we will and it'll be done to us. What he's implying here is the only place that you and I can really, I mean children can really obey the parents is when they do it, acknowledging the fact that they are in the Lord and they're doing it as unto the Lord. Now we're going to get into that all that one idea all the way down through this portion of Scripture. Over and over again, it emphasizes the fact that we're do it as doing it unto the Lord. Children obey your parents in the Lord. Now there is no other position taken anywhere in Scripture but that children are to obey their parents. Now, let me just stop very quickly because we're going to get into it here in another moment, another verse. But it doesn't say parents demand that your children obey because all submission is voluntary except when your children are very small. That's when you can train them how to respond to your requests and desires. Remember again, Proverbs that we talked about last week, Chinook, train up, put on a short leash, teach them their very first, give them their first appetites for the things of life. Remember we talked about that, putting that piece of fig on the roof of the new, uh, chewed up, the fig that the parent would chew up completely and put it on the roof of a newborn baby so it would learn how to suck? It actually says you are to cause them to develop their first appetites, instruct them and direct them when they're very, very small as they're coming up. And when they grow whiskers, it says they won't depart from it. But you see, it says if you wait till later on, you're going to be in trouble. Because it's down there where you begin to establish your authority in that relationship. I want to tell you something. You show me any Christian, if they don't learn the authority of Christ when they're very, very young, babes in Christ, as the scripture says, desiring the sincere milk of the word, if they don't learn it, they're going to be in trouble all the rest of their Christian walk. So the biblical principle or the spiritual principle there applies just like it does to children. So it does mean that there's a time when you'll have authority. I've always said to you, a child until they're 15 will do what you tell them to do. You can make them do what you want them to do. But after 15, they'll do what they want to do. And so that's the time. By that time, if you have not put within them a desire to be pleasing to the Lord, then we've got problems later on. It's got to come from within. You've got to instill in them the principles of God's Word for it comes from the inside out. You can't pound it in. They've got to receive it and then it works its way back out of that child so that when they get older, whenever you correct them, you, say, you have to explain them, I'm doing this because I'm trying to be obedient to the Lord so that you'll understand that the Lord wants you to be obedient to Him. And you're always showing them, I'm doing this to teach you a biblical principle, a spiritual principle. Honor thy father and thy mother, Holding great reverence, which is the first commandment with promise. Now there's another commandment before that with promise, but some people say that this is the first one that has to do with the, the, the very thing it's talking about. It's saying here, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long upon the earth. God says, now, by the way, let me let me just say that this principle here does not mean that every child that obeys their parents are automatically going to live to be as old as Methuselah. It's saying, generally speaking, when you live a godly life, you will live longer than the unbeliever will. And I can give you personal examples of some who did obey their parents and honor their parents who didn't live to be old. So he's not saying... As a general rule, everybody that obeys their children, their parents, are going to live long. Now, isn't it interesting here how he changes it from what it said in the Old Testament? It was given to the children of the nation of Israel, it says, Obey your parents, and you'll live long in the land that which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Now, he's saying here now, what? On your father and mother, and you'll live long upon the earth. The same promise was there. And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Turn back to Proverbs, the 11th chapter, for just a second. Keep your finger in here now. Proverbs 11, verse 29. It's An interesting verse. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It's much more meaningful. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. He shall be the servant of a wiser man. That's powerful. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. You know, I don't know of any person with common sense who will go out to their brand new car, take the gas cap off and pour sugar down into the gas cap, into the gas tank. I don't know of anyone who planting a garden in order to get vegetables will go out and sow weed seeds all through the garden. That sounds like it'd be, a person would have to be crazy to do something like that, to pour sugar into your gas tank. You know what that will do to an engine. Let me tell you something. It's even crazier for a person to purposefully provoke and cause resentment within his own family. You see, it it really doesn't make any difference. If your family is together, you've got everything going for you. If you lose your family, you've lost everything that's worthwhile in this life. They're the only possessions in this earth you can take to heaven with you. And if you lose them, you've lost everything worthwhile. I mean, I, I still remember, I've never forgotten, one fellow was asked one time, do you have a home, a good home? He says, I've got a beautiful home, but right now we're trying to find a house to put it in. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, we've got a beautiful home. We just need a house to put it in right now. But you know, there are a lot of people that have nice houses but have no home. Why? Because the father many times, and sometimes the mothers. The scripture says there are women that tear down their house. Just tear it down. What is the I'm trying to think of the exact words that one verse that says that a, a nagging woman is like a dripping faucet. But it says here, the husband or the father can provoke the children and the family, aggravate them. It says that man is foolish to do that because he's wiping out everything that's worthwhile. That's, you know, actually, the thing that uh, the glory of a a child is who? The glory of a child, the scripture says, is the father. Their father, my dad's tougher than your dad. My dad can beat your dad anytime. You You ever heard that? Why? Because they want everybody to know that my dad is the greatest. Now, when a father gets involved immorally, in many cases, the daughter looks at that and says, that's what pleases my father. That's the direction they go. If a father gets involved in habits, whether it's alcohol or drugs or anything else, if that's what my father thinks is good, many of them go right down that same line. Many times, fathers feel insecure in themselves and consequently to prove their authority. By the way, if you're walking in the right right with the Lord, you don't need to prove your authority at all. You're able to take them to the Word always. say, you "Now, honey, the Word says this, and I'm trying to obey the Word too. You know when it gets into trouble? When we don't walk with the Lord, and we don't obey the Lord, and we're constantly messing up, and we're afraid, and we w- aren't willing to say, I'm really sorry, I missed it, I blew it. Will you please forgive me? Hey, I mean, there, I don't know how many times down through the years of, of our family, I used to have to sit my children down on a chair and say, honey... I want to tell you something. Daddy was wrong. And I've asked the Lord for forgiveness. I really missed it here. Will you please forgive me? I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Will you please forgive me? Come here and give me a hug. And I've even had time to say, Honey, and I'd hold him, I'd say, Will you please pray for Daddy? That Daddy will have better sense the next time. I mean to tell you, that really put me down in their eyes, didn't it? You see what you're teaching them? They all miss it. But when we miss it, we've got one source to go to, and that's to the Lord for forgiveness. I'm asking you to forgive me. I've asked God to forgive me. Now we put it behind us and we go on. The past is forgotten. Forgetting that which is past, I press toward the mark of the prize and the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When I see a man having to scream and holler and be mean and cruel and harsh with his children, it just makes me realize that he himself has not yet found his position in Christ. He hasn't found his security in Jesus Christ. You don't have to scream if you have authority. You just simply say, this is the way it's going to be, and, but not with harshness, but with love. See, we're all in the family together. We all are establishing a home. We're all making our family be what God wants it to be. Now, I am responsible to make these decisions. Now, if you are erratic, if you and I are erratic and unsteady in making our decisions, we can bring our children to total confusion and frustration because one day it's like this and the next day it's like that. And one day we, we say, yeah, you can. The next day you can't. I'll tell you, you'll, your kids will be in total confusion and totally insecure. I want you in confusion. See, our parents, our, our children, the one thing I always told them, honey, I'm going to say what I mean and I'm going to mean what I say and it'll never be any other way because I don't want you in confusion. And if I'm wrong, you come and sit down. We'll talk about it. Let me tell you something, it is rough when your children get to the age where they say, Dad, can we we talk about this thing? And the first thing you you feel inside is, oh, my authority is being challenged here. But you know, they're supposed to be able to appeal to authority. How many times you and I go to, Lord, I want to talk to you about this. And I've never had him go on me yet. And I'll sit down, and we'll, we'll talk it all through. Now, here's what I feel, and this is what I feel, and this is what I feel. Well, Dad, this is what we're feeling now. Can you see that? This is what we're feeling. This is what we're hearing from you. Oh, well, honey, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what we're feeling. You see, they need to be able to say, that's what we're feeling, and you be able to say, well, okay, let's, let's clarify that. And there were times when I had to let the rope out a little bit further as they got a little older. But you know, it's an interesting thing. My children knew when they were in high school that if they got home, I said they're to be home uh, on weekends. I think the latest was midnight. But during the weeknights, it'd be 10 o'clock or something like that. And I told them after that hour, the doors will be locked. You say, well, did you lock the door? You better believe it. If I told them I'd lock the door, i locked the door. Why did I lock the door? Because they knew then they would have to come around and knock on my window and awakened me, and they couldn't just slip in the house. And I would go to the door and open the door and say, what's the problem? Now You know, they could eliminate that completely. If they found out they weren't going to get in by 11 o'clock, they always had enough money in their billfold, so all they had to do is go to a phone and call me. But if they forgot it, then they had to come around and we'd sit down and talk about it. Well, maybe we need to have some readjustment in our attitude here. But not with harshness, but to let them know we have regulations here in the house that we feel are important. Now a lot of times we provoke our children to, to anger and wrath also because we don't give them loving principles. Instead, we're constantly uh, nagging at them, or uh, arguing with them, or scolding them, and they get very, very discouraged. But you don't need to nag or scold. You simply need to establish principles. Now. Again, I've had parents say, well, my kids just don't do this or they don't do that or they don't do that. And we're trying now to find out how to have a biblical standard in relating to one another. You don't have to worry about getting your children, your children getting things done if you set things in priority. Dad, I want to go out and play. Fine, that's wonderful. I mean, when I get home from school, I want to go out and play. No problem at all. Just as soon as you get your homework done and as soon as you get this done and get this done, Go out and play all you want to. Now, you don't have to come to me and ask. But if you go out without that done, you know, then you're in disobedience to me. But I want that done. Well, Dad, I don't want to do that first. Well, that's fine. Then you don't need to go out. But just get this done. And if you'll keep it up, then you don't have a great big job when you come home. Just have it kept up. Now, you see, you don't have to make a decision every time when they say, Dad, can I go outside? I say, don't ask me. You got all the things done have to be done. You see, a lot of times, Parents are having to make a hundred decisions a day, but if you establish principles, and we all understand, you comprehend this now? Do you understand this is the rule? This is the principle? We're saying children obey your parents, but you know a lot of times they don't understand what we want. If you'll establish these principles in their life, now this is what we expect. Now you understand that? And by the way, if there's mom and dad at home, you better get into a closet somewhere or in your bedroom somewhere and close the door and both of you work it out together before you're both in agreement because if you want to destroy any sense of authority in your home, let dad speak up or mom speak up and then have the other one criticize him. You're dead in the water. You're absolutely dead in the water. The word of God says very, very clearly that you're one flesh. And the minute they see a crack, I mean to tell you you've never felt a wedge like you'll feel with a young person, they'll go right between you. They'll go right between you every time. If they know they can divide you, And by the way, do you know something? That if the two of you aren't one and can't come into agreement, the devil's got the advantage over your whole family immediately? Why do you think the scripture says that the husbands love your wives and wives obey your husbands? There's to be a mutual respect for one another because both of you are to establish the same biblical goals. Now, if you don't, you're having trouble in your home. I can tell you right now. If the two of you don't have the same biblical standards, and it, number one, and the second thing, if you don't have respect for each other, well, I did have respect, but I don't anymore, then you better go back, ask God for forgiveness and forget with that which is past and reestablish your relationship one with another or you're shot down. God said if a husband doesn't treat his wife as he ought to, as the weaker vessel, he cuts off his prayers. I don't care if the man can dance in the spirit and sing in the spirit and pray in tongues and... I don't care what all these spiritual things he can do. If he is not treating his wife properly, biblical standards, God says you might as well shut up and don't pray anymore because I'm not going to hear you. It's very important we understand that. I have so many husbands and wives that I've known down through the years of my ministry that are just these spiritual giants and their homes are total disasters. And they don't understand. God says the home is the most important thing there is. Forget all about your public ministry out there. What about your home? Well, I can't get my family to agree with it. Then quit it and back off until the, you do come into agreement. What are we trying to do as a family here? What can I do to get my family back into spiritual alignment? Well, let me tell you why I say that. Let's say you witness to someone and they come to your home one day and the two of you and your husband, you and your wife are like this. They walk out and we'll say, what in the world have they got that I want? If they walk in the house and your kids are like little terrors, tearing up the house and screaming, and you're screaming at them, they think, where's the witness here? You see, the scripture says that we're to be an example in all manner of living. You say, well, that's, that's too tough, but it's not impossible if we'll follow biblical principles. here. And it says here, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of an admonition of the Lord. That nurture and admonition, admonition is loving principles. Loving, Bring them up in loving principles. Now, watch this now. In the nurture and admonition of what? Of the Lord. Now, what he's always saying is always refer them to the Lord. Always refer them to we're doing this because we're submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if your children never learn how respond to you in that way, in the days ahead, they'll have terrible time responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you represent authority. That's why many evangelistic organizations are having a terrible time in working out on the streets. Because when you tell people that they need to respond to God like they did their father, they have a horrible image of a father. Or no image of a father. The father took off and left them. Then you have to go back and explain to them what the normal biblical principle would be of a relationship between a father and a son. Not the distorted one you've got, but what God says it is, and you need to respond to God in that way. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Now, that singleness of your heart means giving them your best. Now, there were servants back in that day. In fact, they'll even talk about slaves later on. You see, Paul didn't approve of or disapprove of slavery. He was simply saying these are the conditions that are in our government right now, but these are the biblical ways in which we relate to them. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of the heart. Here it is again, as what? As unto Christ, not with eye servants as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the what? From the heart. Now, let's just run through that very quickly now. First of all, you're to have a single of heart. You're to give them their very best. If you're working for someone, you're to do everything you can to make them successful. That's the biblical principle. Why? Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. As you give, it shall be given unto you later on. Now, whatever you're sowing, I don't care what it is. You can't pray for a crop failure later you got to, whatever you sow, that will come back to you. I have seen, I've been in the ministry long enough now to have seen it over and over again. Whatever you sow, whatever you sow, in your attitude, in your relationships, in your giving, in your, your service for Christ, whatever, whatever you're sowing, that's what's going to come back. In the same measure, it's going to come back to you. In singleness of heart, as unto Christ, So when you do the job, you don't do it for your master. You do it for Christ. I remember learning this principle when I first went to Bible school, and I found myself saying, Lord, please let me clean this practice room in a way that if you came and looked at it, you'd be pleased. Lord, let me stack these pop bottles, that was one of my assignments, stack these pop bottles in such a way and get all the bottles sorted out and stacked in such a way that if you were to walk up, you'd be pleased. Lord, as I'm cleaning these toilet stools and urinals, I want to do it in such a way that when I walk out of here, you'd be pleased if you saw it. I don't care if anyone else sees it. I want you to be pleased. Lord, when I wash these windows, Lord, when I change these screens on these houses, when I go out and take a job for the school, I always said, Lord, I want to learn how to do it as unto you. Why? If you do that, you'll soon gain a reputation. People will say that person is dependable, and you don't have to worry about them cheating you. How many of you know that if you're a Christian, that ought to be automatic? And how many of you know that that isn't automatic today? I actually have had people say I'd rather have almost anyone but a Christian work for me. Why? They think the world owes them a living. Glory to God, Hallelujah! I can just waste time doing this. I can just do it. Just whatever I can get done and get it out can get out here as quickly as I can. God is watching whatever you and I do, and we have to answer to the Lord for it. If we're cheating our bosses on time. We're stealing from them in any way. You sow, and you'll reap. You know you know it wouldn't be right to walk up to your boss and pull his billfold out and take money out of his billfold and go home with it. But if you do it even in by not, not doing what you promised to do when you come to the job. I've had people take jobs and then complain because they weren't making enough money. And I said to them, what did they promise you when you came to the job? Well, this much. Well, then why are you complaining? Well, I just can't make ends meet. Well, why didn't you know that before you started the job? Then you shouldn't take the job if that's not enough for you. But don't criticize your boss. Ask the Lord to help you to do the very best you can. And number one, he may give you a raise. Or if you're faithful in this one, the Lord can give you a better job. How many of you know that if you and I are not faithful where we are right now, God's not going to give us more? He said, he that is faithful over little, I will make faithful over much. But if you're not faithful over the little, he says, take that which he hath and give to the one who has more. God says, whatever we sow, we're going to reap. You say, well, yeah, but my boss is a tightwad. Well, then why don't you work in such a way that he'll feel guilty because he's not paying you enough, for you're so valuable to him. But if he doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't work that way. It means that you work that way and say, Lord, I'm going to believe that you're going to open up a better door for me. Again, that boss is not your source. God is your source. With singleness of heart, you give it your very best as unto Christ. When you get done, Lord, inspect my work. Is this good enough? I want you to put this principle to work with your children. I cannot believe how lax some parents are today. They'll give their child a job and the child children will walk away and the job isn't half done. Oh, well, I'll finish it up. No, no, no. Don't do that. But now don't get angry when you do it. Say, now look, first of all, you see, the biggest problem we run is we don't explain to the children what we want, first of all. Now, honey, this is what I want. I want you to do this and this and this. Now, it isn't done until this is done and this is done. You say, I can't take all that time. Yes, you can, one or, once or twice. You can take that time. But then once you've established it, now you know exactly what it's supposed to look like when we're all done, right, honey? Okay, now I'm going to trust you to really do it as unto the Lord. So when you're done, the Lord will be pleased with it. If the Lord's pleased, I know I'll be pleased. But we, you teach them exactly what you want it done and how you get it done, and then expect it to be done that way every time. Let me say that again: every time. You don't make them do it two or three times and then let them get away with it. Oh well, I know they're busy, and I know. Don't do that. You're setting them up for failure later on and problems in their future workforce. You be the bear and teach them how to take responsibility on when they're very young, and as they grow up, that will become a part of their nature. If they don't learn it at home, they're going to rebel against every job they have. That's not good enough. This isn't good enough. The other thing isn't good enough. What we, we're teaching them biblical principles how to be responsible. Now, I'm not telling you to give them a, a, give a, a, an 8-year-old a, a 15-year-old's job. They start with small jobs to teach them how to do it and how to do it properly. And then whenever they do it, Tell them how proud you are of them and how proud the Lord is of them. The Lord, the Lord has got to be pleased with your job, Aaron. Anybody be pleased. You've just done such a fine job and you give them a big hug and you pray with them. Lord, I thank you for this little young girl and this, this, this little guy you've given me. I just thank you that you're teaching them responsibility. You're showing them how to do these things. And you're giving them wisdom and understanding so in the days ahead, you can use them and they'll be successful for you. I want to tell you something. If that does something for your children, rather than say, you dumb idiot, you didn't do it right again, what's the matter with you? You can't do anything, blah, 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 blah. You just, right down the tubes. You establish within them the confidence that they're pleasing God. And this guy's the limit for them. Well, by the way, that works for husbands and wives too. Everybody likes to be told they're nice and they've done a the good job. I've been amazed. I've gone to people's homes and I've eaten meals and this delicious food And I I tell the hostess, that's really delicious. the husband was sitting there gorging himself. Never say a word to the wife. I think, you dummy, what's the matter with you? you missed it. You've got a queen here that's trying to please you, and you don't even recognize how wonderful she is and what she's trying to do to please you. Wonderful hostess here, and I've not heard you say, honey, this is nice, I really appreciate it. Is there something I can do to help you, honey? Just, oh, me, 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 me. No, no, no. You're going to destroy your your marriage that way. It just works all the way up and down the family line there. Verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. With goodwill there means with gladness. It doesn't mean, well, that's the way I've got to do it, I'll do it that way, but it's kind of aggravating because I've got things I'd rather do. No, it means literally that you look at it as an opportunity to serve the Lord. You know, you can go out and do all the witnessing you want, but if you aren't a witness on your job, and if you aren't a witness at home, it kills it. I'm not saying that you don't mess up. I'm not saying that you and your wife don't have misunderstandings from time to time, but you're the spiritual leader. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. You bring healing to that situation. Leadership brings restoration into that situation. You be the one to say, look... Let's get let's get this thing settled. Let's let's get this thing back put back together properly. I'm sorry, and I, I acknowledge that I, I blew it here, I did this wrong, honey. But I want to go back and tell you I do love you, and I promised God when we got married that I was going to honor you and I was going to respect you, and where I failed to do that, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me, honey? You say, Well, they've changed since then. I've said to people, you mean to say they're worse than and they were when you got married, oh, you couldn't believe it. I said, well, that's no excuse. Because I remember in the ceremony it says, I accept this person for better or for worse. I keep telling people, my wife said she took me for better because she didn't think I could be any worse, but for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and in health so long as you both shall live. And you say that to God. You promised God that. I don't care how much worse they are. You know what that does? That just gives you more opportunity to manifest the grace of God in your life. The more they are like that, the more you should love them. Jesus said, you "Love your neighbor." Who is my neighbor? You be the neighbor. And I've said time and time again, don't tell me that your wife and your wife or your husband and you can't put things back together because the Bible commands, not a suggestion, commands. Husbands, love your wives. Well, I have a hard time doing that. Okay, husbands, love your neighbor. Husbands, love your enemy. If you can't love them as your wife, love them as your enemy. But you have no choice. You've got to love them. Oh, I'll love them, but I'm not going to have anything to do with them. That's not the love that Christ has. It means that you you desire to, to be, make them to be, become the very best that they can be. You support and encourage them and sustain them and strengthen them and undergird them, back them up, with love, see, I'm back there to husbands and wives again. But it says in that verse seven, with good will or with gladness, doing service as to the Lord and not to the men. There is another opportunity to do something for the Lord to prove that God has done something in my life. I still remember, and I was stunned by it. A fellow in my that worked where I worked, where I when I got saved, I went back to that place and worked. And before that, I was so foul mouthed I had so many horrible habits and everything and full of anger and always wanting to fight at the drop of a hat. And I went back and wouldn't fight anymore and I'd quit cussing and I, I was reading my New Testament every time I got a, a coffee break and I went away to Bible school in a few months and this guy, he was so he was as bad as I was. He went around town asking all over town, they tell me later, to find out where I went to church. And when he found out he found out who the pastor was, called him and said, I gotta have an appointment with you, and he took his whole family in there, he says, I don't know what changed that animal, Jill Webb, but whatever it was, I saw such a difference at the job that whatever he's got, that's what I need. Me and my family, tell us about it. And he and his family were led to the Lord. Now, you see, I had no idea that he was watching me that closely, but he couldn't understand why I wouldn't cuss with him anymore and I wouldn't tell dirty jokes with him anymore. But I just wanted nothing more to do with that lifestyle. And when I left, he realized that his family had needs so he immediately went and found some place to get an answer for himself. Verse 8, Knowing that whatsoever good thing you do, the same shall you receive of the Lord. I hope I can instill in you this. If you do it as unto the Lord, then you can expect the Lord to bless you. The Lord to promote you. The Lord to strengthen you. The Lord to give you wisdom. The Lord to give you skill. The Lord to give you talent. The Lord to open doors that no man can shut and shut doors that no man can open. If I can just instill in you this truth that when you do everything as unto the Lord and according to biblical principles, no man can hold you down. God has got doors to open that no man can even touch. I could just go ad infinitum the times that God has opened doors for me when there was no natural way that a door could be opened. It doesn't make it whether you're a slave or if you're a free man. God can still do it. By the way, let me just tell you something. If a man is even a slave on earth, he's only going to be a slave here on earth. When we get to heaven, it's not going to ask, were you a slave or a free man? But the only thing that's going to be asked is there was, were you faithful wherever you were? Think about that. God's not going to be impressed whether I was a multimillionaire or a billionaire or a slave. When we get to heaven, we're going to receive our reward as to whether we were faithful with what we did or with what we had, how we used it. But it says there, knowing, you've got to get this down in your heart. Not, I hope so, I think so, but I know that whatever good thing I do, the same I'm going to receive from the Lord. How many of you know that the Lord sees in the light, he sees in the darkness, he sees you when you're alone, he sees you when you do things that nobody else knows, and he's writing that record down. Every idle deed, every idle word, every idle thought is written down. And we're going to answer for it in that day, and they are either going to get hay, wood, and stubble, or we're going to receive gold and precious gems. Whatever we sow, know that we're going to receive accordingly. I think I told you the other day that a man said to me, I just don't understand the pastor Webb, Here you've tried to walk with the Lord, and you've tried to be obedient to the Lord, and here your wife has passed away, your son has passed away, now your daughter's having trouble, and you're down with your back, and he said, here... I don't even go to church, and, and, and the guy's a heavy drinker and everything. He says, I don't seem to ever have any trouble. I said, well, you know, that really doesn't concern me a bit, really, because I know that in that day, God's going to settle all the books, and it'll all be balanced out, and it'll be right. He says, well, if you're trying to make me feel good, that didn't help. Because <laughs> he suddenly realized, wow, if the books aren't being settled now, one of these days it will be settled, and that doesn't make me feel too good. But I just wanted him to know that one of these days I know whatever I'm sowing or whatever he's sowing, he's going to reap. Verse 9, and then we're through. And you masters, do the same thing unto them. In other words, if the servants are to treat you right, you're what? You're supposed to treat your servants right. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. He says, now masters, I'll tell you, I have worked on jobs where a boss told me to do something, and I realized if I did what he told me to do, it would create a problem. And so when he came around, he said, why didn't you do what I told you to do? I said, well, I just thought, that he's done. just stop right there. He said, I didn't, I'm not paying you to think. I'm paying you to do what I tell you to do. I said, well, then I must be on the wrong job because I can't do any job without thinking. I don't want to get into trouble. And I'll tell you what would have happened had I done that over there. And so consequently, I asked the other foreman over here, and he agreed with me that I shouldn't do it. The guy got all upset and he belittled and he tries to tear you apart and tells you you're you're feel like make you feel like a penny waiting for change. And He doesn't realize one of these days he's going to have to answer to God for that because I don't care what position I'm in. If I'm just a grunt and he's the general, that's only our office in God's sight. We're equal. And when the servant is trying to do it as unto the Lord, as he serves the master, make the master successful, if that master turns around and begins to berate and put down and make him feel like he's dirt cheap, God's going to deal with that man. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I've seen some guys, just because they're foreman, suddenly they think they're King Tut. And I've seen time and time again where they, I mean, I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I, I don't have time, I, I'm worth a $1,000 an hour right now. I thought, boy, if I could buy you for what you're worth and sell you for what you think you're worth, I could retire. Only six months later to find out the guy's out of job, out of work, and looking down on the street trying to find something, just anything that he can get to survive. And I thought, boy, you know, what happens after a proud look? All. And these guys just, I mean, some of these guys just really thought, boy, now that I'm in office, the rest of you guys are going to get in line. The minute we get that attitude, we're in trouble. We should be there to build up and encourage and strengthen and make them feel worthwhile. You know, most foremen just realize if you can give people a sense of worth and purpose to where they literally want to come to work and look forward to coming to work to be a part of a team, their, their production is going to go way up. If they can go home and say, boy, we had a good time today, we got this much done, we got that much done, and, and things are really looking good, and we're going to get this accomplished, and if we get there, or we're even going to get a bonus down the line, well, then all of a sudden they're a part of the team. And well, I'll tell you, I just hate it when I hear of Christians that just look for two things, five o'clock and payday, because whatever they're sowing, God's not going to give them anything better in the days ahead. So here we're talking about children to parents, parents of one another, working relationships as masters to servants, servants to masters, If we'll operate by biblical principles and establish them in our homes, and in our workplace, do it all as unto the Lord, And point everybody low, we're doing this because this is what the Word says, this is what the Word says, this is what the Word says. They'll get that principle down in their heart, and they'll be established in the days ahead. They'll cause rejoicing in your heart. God will honor you, and they'll honor you. And as you would have others to do unto you, so should you do to them. That's the principle. Biblical principle. And this is good in God's sight. Good things for God's people is to operate by biblical principles in our interpersonal relationship. Oh, we've got a lot of good things coming up. Some more portions of course, the scripture I want us to get into. But if you can learn these principles and nail them down in your home, begin to practice them with each other. And when you miss it, say, I missed it. Will you please forgive me? And hug each other. Hold hands and pray together as a family. When you miss it, take your children up on your lap and let them know you missed it. I loved it there. Will you please forgive me? Don't say, oh, forgive me. Ask them. Will you please forgive me? Why? Because now the monkey's on their shoulder. And by the way, if somebody asks you to forgive them, I've had people say, well, we'll just do it again. She'll just do it again. So what? Jesus said 70 times 7 a day. Forgive if they come and say, I'm sorry. By the way, did you know that even though somebody says, I'm sorry, I really don't want to do that, that they might do it again? You better know it because you've probably done it. And you have to be patient. I am so glad God is patient with me. I'm telling you, I blow it so many times. but I come and say, Lord, I just acknowledge that's sin. That's disobedience. Will you please forgive me again? I don't know why I have to keep coming and asking you to forgive me for these things. But I'm back again. And I'm just so thankful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. And Lord, I claim it again, and I ask you to just release me and set me free in that area so that doesn't keep happening all the time. I don't want to say that, or I don't want to think that, or I don't want to be like that. Will you please forgive me? You know what? He always says yes. And I'm so glad when I get up in the morning, he doesn't say, now let's see all those things you did yesterday. Let's go over those things you did again yesterday. Let's not blow that again today, you know. No, he rolls it up and down at the bottom it says paid in full by the blood of Jesus. He throws them behind his back in the sea of his forgetfulness never to be remembered against me again. That's a biblical principle. How many husbands and wives have you have you seen whenever anything goes wrong you get historical? I didn't say hysterical. I said historical. There you go again. Back there you go. And I know a couple that have been married for 40 years. 40 years. And I said to them, Why don't you get things healed up? No. I'm not going to get things straightened up. I said, you mean you... Well, they told me they're not going to get separated because they know what the word says. They're not going to divorce. And neither are they going to make up. So for the next 40 years, they're just going to continue to fight it out. I mean, that's dumb gone to seed. Forgive, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. I'm so glad tonight to tell you that I don't care what sin it is that you and I may have committed how many times we failed if we were sorry and we really want to be different, we come to the Lord and claim and confess it's sin that we don't want it in our lives and ask him to deliver us in the name of Jesus and to take it away, he will forgive us. He'll completely forgive us so we can start anew, brand new sleep. That's what the Lord wants us to be able to do with one another. We've been talking about something that, you know, I realize I can go on and on and on and on in this New Testament concerning biblical standards when relating to other people, but that's one of the areas of difficulty today in many Christians' lives. They don't know what the Word of God says should be their conduct in their daily life in dealing with other people. And the Scripture says, we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. You see, if I know what the Word of God says and the situation comes up, I will know how to respond to that situation. And I have so many people come to me and say, oh, this is what happened and this is how I responded. and I feel so badly now. Why do you feel badly? Well, I don't know, but it seems like that wasn't right. Something inside of them was telling them it wasn't right. And I said, well, do you know what the Word says? I, what does the Word say on that? And I thought, you know, there is a, a horrible ignorance of God's Word today. In many, many churches, people could not quote you three scripture verses if their life depended on it. People who have been in church for years could not quote three scripture verses. And you wonder why the church is in the condition it's in today? Do you wonder why denominations are allowing people to come into leadership in those denominations? We're promoting things like we talked about last Wednesday night? Because people do not know what the Word of God says. I want to share with you some interpersonal relationships here that a lot of people would rather not hear about in the New Testament. You know, people love to hear John three sixteen, For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. They love to hear Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of God not of works but a man should both. They love to hear Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. My God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ. Aren't those wonderful promises? But there are some others. How many of you know that every single verse in this Bible is inspired? How many of you know that every verse in this scripture is for us in the New Testament? It's written for believers. Well, now there's some that are not nice and not fun to be involved with. If we know the truth, the truth will set us free. I just want to share with you some, some things that, that God's Word has to say to believers. The first one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 7 and 8. Timothy, Paul had just told Timothy the same thing that we've read before in other areas in Ephesians and so forth about rebuke not an elder and treat him as a father and younger men as brethren and so forth and women as sisters and so forth, honor widows. And then verse 7 of the 5th chapter of 1 Timothy and these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Now, this is a charge. This is a commandment. This is an order. This is a rule. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul the Apostle was not saying that to unbelievers, he was saying that to those who profess to be believers. He said, it's one thing to say you're a believer, but and, and actually that word in there, provide for, in the Greek, gives the implication of with forethought and foreintention and planning, you make provisions for your own family. I've seen many people go to church and praise God, hallelujah, and all the rest of it, and they don't support their family. And when I say family, I'm not just talking about their wife and children or their uh, that sort of thing. Many times there are those that will not even support and help their own parents. And they'll say, well, my parents aren't believers. The word of God doesn't say here, honor your parents if they're your believers. God is very, very concerned about that nuclear family. That's why he says the sins of the parents are passed on to the third and fourth generation, That's why he says that the proof of a person's success as a parent is not just with the children but with the grandchildren also because you and I are producing future generations for the glory of God. And I want to tell you something. May I just interject this? When I find people who are unwilling to respond to their parents, who's to blame? Well, that ungrateful kid. Really? Who had that ungrateful kid when he was first learning how to suck the bottle? Who had that ungrateful kid when he had his first taste of food? Who had that ungrateful kid when he was to teach him to honor his parents? The scripture says, train them up. Train them up for it becomes a part of their nature. It becomes ingrained in them. They have a fear of God in their heart and know that they'll answer to God if they do not honor their children. Now this is why, again, the responsibility falls back on mom and dad to train them up from the time they're very little. I heard the other day of a tape where a fella said, I waited until my child was nine years of age, and my wife and I sat down with him and said, Now, you're old enough. I want you to decide where would you like to go to church. Yeah. Never talked to him about going to church. Never talked to him about Jesus Christ. Never talked to him about the Bible. When he got nine, here's this nine-year-old kid sitting on the chair next to him. He said, Now, honey, where would you like to go to church? And he thought, Go to church. Yes, we want to start going to church now. We want you to choose, though, so you can know where you should go. A nine-year-old boy. Well, the kid says, hey, I know these kids that go to school with me, and they go to this church over there. It was a nice party doll church, he said. They went there for years and never got saved. Later on, they found the Lord. But I thought, how foolish for parents to say, well, when they get old enough, then we'll talk to them about spiritual things. It's when they are the very youngest that you can impress them and put in their heart the direction that they should go. I mean, very small. Now, it says here, children, when you get old enough, you should be responsible to take care of your own family. And it certainly does mean fathers with the family. And today, as horrible as it is, many mothers are having that whole load dumped on them. But God does not, that's not God's best. I was listening to a program yesterday. I was trying to get some stuff done in the kitchen. I flicked on the television set and, and it was Opal Winfrey. And they had couples sitting there where the wives were working and the men were working. And they were scrapping and fighting with each other as to who was supposed to do the mopping and who was supposed to do the cleaning and who was supposed to do the dishes and who was supposed to do all that. Just fighting with each other. I work 14 hours a day. Well, I work 12 hours a day. But I work six days a week. Well, I work five days. And she says, what is the answer? There must not be an answer. But I want to tell you something, our society is permeated with this. I just want to tell you that once we miss and violate and get away from God's principles, there is no answer until we get back to God's principles. I want to tell you, psychologists today are trying to give every unscriptural method to try to straighten out something that's unscriptural to begin with. They're trying to work, say, well, let's use, operate by biblical principles. You can't take a non-biblical principle as a foundation and move to a biblical principle without repentance. You've got to go back to what God says. And so there's total confusion. Pastors are saying today, I don't know the answer. There doesn't seem to be an answer anymore. Well, there is, but we don't like the answer. But I want you to notice that Paul says, this is, this is a rule. I'm charging you. If you're going to be blameless, you've got to provide for your family, especially those of your own house, especially. And if you don't, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. Don't call yourself a Christian. That's heavy, isn't it? Don't even say that you're a Christian if you do not provide for your family. Now, some of you that know fathers that are not providing for their family it doesn't make any difference what they say. Paul the Apostle says, Timothy, if they say they are Christians and they don't support their family, they're worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because they know that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. The unbeliever, I mean, he's dumb as a stump. He doesn't know what principles are what God's word says. So he's not held as liable. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. And Paul says, if you don't do it, you're worse than an unbeliever. In fact, in one place, that same word in the New Testament is translated incredible. You're incredibly worse than an unbeliever. Ephesians 4. I want you to know that verse is inspired, by the way. That verse I just read is inspired. And it'll be one of the verses by which we're judged in that day when we stand before God. And you need to have that verse available when you're talking to people today who profess to be Christians and they're not supporting their family. Ephesians four, verse twenty eight. I remember somebody reading this to me one time, let him the stole steal, no more let him labor with his hand working with his hands. I said, Now that's a different translation than I've ever seen. Let him the stole steal, no more let him labor with his hand, working with his hands. Let him the stole steal, no more. Quit stealing. Now what is involved in stealing? Have you ever thought, I mean, when we think of stealing, we think, oh, there's somebody's book, I'm going to take their book. How about stealing somebody's reputation or their name? How many of you know it's worse to steal somebody's reputation sometime than to take their pocketbook? How many of you know it's possible to steal people's time? Hello? You can find sometimes there will be Christians who will habitually and they'll just say, well, you know how I am. That's the way I am. I knew a pastor up in Minnesota one time that used to be automatically. I mean, this became a practice where everybody just knew it. If he said 1 o'clock for a meeting, I wouldn't be there till 3 o'clock, and I'd get there 15 minutes ahead of him. And he'd come bouncing in like he was the most important thing in the world. And I said to him one day, I said, brother, I don't know that you've ever read the Word of God, but it says don't steal from other people. And you, just, you tried to steal 2 hours and 15 minutes of my time, and my time's just as valuable as yours. If you can't make it on time, don't say 1 o'clock if you don't mean 1 o'clock. If you mean 3 o'clock, say 3 o'clock. Or 3.15, say 3.15. But you plan on being there at 1 so you'll get there by 3.15 if that's the way you walk. If you can't get to church on time when it starts at 11, tell yourself now on church starts at 10.30. If you have a business meeting with someone, you can't get there on time, set it in your book that it's a half an hour or 45 minutes early. If your clock runs that that far behind in your brain, set your clock back so you don't steal from other people. It's literally stealing their time. I appreciate what one man did one time. He went into his doctor's office. He had made an appointment for such and such a time. He went into the doctor's office, sat down, and he had to wait for two hours and 15 minutes. He went to his attorney and filed suit against the doctor for $100 an hour. He says, my time's is worth $100 an hour, and you stole two hours and some of my time. You know he went to court and he won? He says, you just placidly make appointments and just jam people up in your room, and everybody's got to sit out there, and you always sit down next to somebody who's got everything. You know what I mean? Every disease in the book, they're right there next to you, just wheezing and sneezing and coughing all over you. And he says, I sat there for over two hours and I finally got up and left. I couldn't wait any longer. I was in, I'm was i in business too. He says, my time is valuable. You know, we fail to think that anybody else's time is valuable many times when we come late to a, something we say we will be on time. Now, I'm not talking about what I feel or what I think. I'm, I'm talking about stealing. And the scripture says, if you stole in the past, don't steal anymore. And of course, we don't steal from the Lord. You'd be amazed how many pastors tell me, he's, you know, We've got people that attend our church that when they're in church on Sunday, they'll put something in the offering. But if they don't come for two or three or four weeks, when they come back, they don't make that up. There are many that'll go on vacation while they're on vacation. I don't know what they do with the Lord's tithe during that time, but it's not committed to the storehouse. I've always tried to teach people, don't ever call it my tithe. And when you're teaching your children concerning stewardship when they're very young, we taught our children how to tithe, if they earned a dollar selling something on the street, they would automatically put 10 cents of it in a box to give to the Lord on Sunday, and I'd say, now that's, whose is that? That's the Lord's. Okay, but who's in charge of it right now? I am. Okay, now what does the Bible say? They said, be faithful. It is required of a steward that he be what? Hey, you know, I didn't teach that to my kids until they got in high school. I got clear down here saying, honey, what does the Bible say about that? Look at all that money you've got. Who gave that to you? Jesus. And how did Jesus, how did you get it? Well, I went out and did this, but who gave you the ability to go out and do that? Jesus. And how much is that is his? All of it. How much does he tell we should return? Tithe? They would barely say the word tithe. And I said, when we're obedient, what does Jesus promise to? You? Bless. Said, That's right. That's right. And the Lord's gonna bless you. We never want to steal from Jesus, do we? No. Whose is that? His. What would happen if we didn't give it to him? that would be stealing. Yeah, and the Bible says don't steal. Way down here. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may give to him that hath need. All right, now the second thing is, let him labor. Now there's two principles here. First of all, we can think and we can sit. And the Bible talks about those, the little folding of the hands, a little slumber, a little sleep, and poverty comes to us. There are some people in this world, and you'll run into them sooner or later, I tend to call them blood-sucking leeches, that will try to just suck everything out of everybody around them they possibly can. And the Bible does say, do not steal, but then it goes on and says, labor. God does not honor laziness anywhere in the scripture. He honors and blesses steadfastness, steadiness, staying with the stuff, consistency all the way through. That's what he'll bless. Now, the other thing is, how many days a week did the Lord tell us we were to labor? Six days a week. The seventh day, what? Rest and worship the Lord. Now, some people say, well, rest to some people, is not rest to other people. And all week long, I'm sitting in my office. And so Sundays when I rest, I like to get out in the great outdoors. The Bible says that it's to be set aside for rest, but also to worship the Lord. And when people begin to work seven days a week, I believe they're violating God's principle. You know, in the Old Testament they wouldn't even let a jackass work seven days a week. They wouldn't let an oxen work seven days a week. But he said, if you'll labor and you'll be consistent, what? What did he promise? You may have to give to him that need it. You'll not only eventually have enough for yourself but you'll begin to be able to bless others. Not through stealing, but through labor. Some people say, yeah, but I'm worth a lot more than I'm making right now. Well, prove it. Prove it to your boss. Work so hard that when your boss sees you, you say, we don't dare lose that guy or that gal. We need to give them a raise. Work to make them successful, and if you don't enjoy your work and you can't do it with a good attitude, you can't do it in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord, then you ought to say, Lord, then I'm asking you to help me in a Christian way to move out of this and to move into something else where I will enjoy it and I can be a blessing and do it in a way that's pleasing to you. I think it's terrible people will work for 35 years in a place where they hate it. Every day and night they come over oh, 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 oh. next day, oh no, i got to go to work again. And when they get there, they got a bad attitude and they do everything lousy. You know, God can't honor and bless that. you got to go there with, Lord, this is the day you've made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You show me how I can be the best employee in this place. Now let me, you say, well, I'm going into business for myself one these day. Today. Let me tell you something. However you treat your employer, that's the way you're going to have your employees treat you in the days ahead. Whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. And that used to really make me concerned. So when I'd work for somebody, I'd say, I going to do more than anybody else has ever done while I'm working for them. Why? Because if I ever go into business for myself, I don't want a bunch of lazy slobs around and working in my place. Whatever I sow, I reap. You know, when the fear of God comes in our heart, we begin to see these principles, we'll realize that we don't get away with a thing. In any area of life, whatever we sow, we reap sooner or later. I was talking to a half-sister of mine the other night. And she was telling me about the heartache with the grandchildren. And I can still remember, when I first became a Christian, I looked at how she treated her children. And I thought, oh, I hate to see the day when their children come along and how the children are going to treat her after that. And, I mean, in like kind, exactly what's happened to her Uh, that she did to her children, they've done to their children, and now they're doing back to her. I keep telling people, you can't lay on buzzards' eggs and raise chicks. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you don't love your children and cause them to love you and cause them to fellowship and want to be in a relationship with you, in the days ahead, they'll walk out and say, look, take care of yourself. But you teach them God's principles of respect and authority. And when it comes into this verse here, we need to teach our children very young. Never do we steal. I, I can, my dad wasn't even a Christian. I remember went into a store one time, and I went over when he was doing something else. I reached in and got some candy stuck in my pocket. And we started down the street, and here I was going like this. He said, what do you have there? I said, candy. Where would you get that? I had it. I had it? Where would you have it from? I mean, back then for a penny, you'd get a whole fistful, big fistful of candy. He said, did you take that in there? Right around we went, right back in that store. Non-Christian. My dad didn't profess anything about church. He called Moner over. He said, I want you to know something. He said, son, tell him what you just did. He said, I'll get to that later. You tell him what you did. Pulled out a couple pieces of candy. He said, is that all of it? Dad said, I reached in. I got the rest and pulled it out. He said, he took that from you. He stole that from you here in this store. He said, now, first of all, I'm going to pay for it, but he's going to pay for it and he made me give that candy back and tell him I was sorry and when I got home I got a tail burning I mean to tell you and he said you ever do that again he says you embarrassed me you embarrassed the family he says you are just a disappointment to, do, to me to do something like that you know we never steal if we want something we work for I was just a little Wadden Well, it took me a long time to forget that until I became a teenager and I rebelled and I went and did my own thing and I was out stealing things right and left But boy, when this hit me, this this scripture, don't steal anymore. That spoke to my heart. And if we can teach our children this principle, when they're very young, when they grow up, it'll become a real moral principle. I'll tell you, there'll be companies screaming to have them in their place, of business. These are powerful things that we need to understand in dealing with the world and dealing with other people. Interpersonal principles. It's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards when relating to others. If we do it, the others are not just the winners, we're the winners. And all these principles that God puts in here, he says, these are for our benefit.